Welcome to the Content Rocks Podcast, the show about all things content.ai, .net, and Azure for people who want to learn more about headless technology. And now, here's your host, Brian McKeever. Hey everyone, we're back with another episode of the Content Rocks Podcast. Thanks for listening or watching. Today's episode is going to be something that's really core and critical to anyone who needs to learn content.ai, and that is, you know, what's the difference between an environment, a collection, and a space? It's really like the structure of your project, and it's important that you know the options if you're new to the CMS, or even if you've been using the CMS for a while, there's a new concept that has been rolled out in the last couple months that, you know, we find most people haven't heard about. So we're happy to talk about it today. Uh, and and, and sort of shed some light on you know what's what's the point of using all these things. And I'm really happy to be joined by a good friend of mine, Matt Neald. Matt, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, Brian. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, for sure. Uh, just so everyone knows, Matt is a general content.ai consultant and content.ai MVP over in the UK. Uh, in fact, Matt, uh, tell everyone exactly where you're from because I don't want to butcher it. Oh, it's, I mean, it's not hard to pronounce, so that, that's fine. So I, I live just outside Oxford um, in the UK. So let's say maybe like 40 minutes by train uh, from central London, if you want to take that as a as a good measure of where we are. So down south, pretty okay. much as landlocked as you can get in the UK, as far away from the coast uh, as we can possibly be um, in, a, in a sunny little rural town. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's where I'm from. And how, how's the summer treating you, Matt? Um, yeah, it's the UK, so it's it's pretty random. Uh, one minute it's really hot, one minute it's really wet. It's kind of what we're used to. Um, Makes a lot of sense. Not been too bad. Not been too bad. Well, you know, Matt and I were talking, I think, in a private chat a couple months back about this this topic and how we use it internally in the projects that we both work on. And it turned out to just be such a great conversation that we thought, hey, why not actually kind of record it and go through some of the experiences that you have, that I have, and share that with people? Because again, this is pretty important to how you would set up and initially kind of start your content AI project. So we're really going to kind of get specific into the, the topics of environments, collections, and spaces, and maybe even a little web spotlight use, because it all kind of ties it together if you're working on the web channel. And I'll show a little bit on the screen as we go, but I think... Matt, do you, do you want to start us off with maybe what do you kind of think about when you're first starting that empty project or that empty brand new environment? And, you know, why would you maybe use something like multiple environments? Let's just keep it there. Let's start with, so I have a project. Do I have just one environment as a best practice? Do I have multiple? What, what do you think is the general answer to that? So I think it's just a really great question. And I think it depends how how mature your your project is to to get started so if it's you know for example if it's a small project team and it's just me i'm going to go in there will be a production environment and we probably start working on that so quite often if you know your client's quite green we're really just experimenting and allowing them to explore what content ai can do what we can do with the content modeling um so typically it's just going to be a single single environment and a single project. I think it's it's when you get to the point where your project is maturing and you've got multiple kind of development angles coming along, people working on content models in isolation from other people. That's when we start to look at you know, where the environments become useful and what we can do with them. Um, I think it's, it's the explanation of what an environment is. And I always 
in my head and environment it's kind of like a, a branching git but you never merge it back in because there's no auto merge you can merge it some work you can do to do that um but yeah it, it's taking a side copy of what you're working on so that you can work on it in isolation um and i think you know you and i i think we were we were involved in conversations with content ai when they were talking about this and it was all about um continuous integration at, at the time and we were talking about how you develop your content model without affecting your production project and that that was right. kind of the big thing so many many moons ago when you and i were both young uh it was you know you had one project and that was it and environments allowed us to to take a side copy and to experiment with our content model or build up our content model before applying those changes to production so it's all about the maturity of your project as to which way you're going to go uh, in the first instance i think i don't know whether that's a, a similar thing that, that you found as well yeah, it is. I think I think it also does depend on kind of total team size of who you're working with. So, you know, as an agency, maybe we have one or two or three people on our side on a team working on a project for a client. Maybe they actually also have a set of content editors, marketers, or their own development teams. And I'm not saying that we would split different environments just across teams, but it'd be more like you're, what you're saying is like, we'd start with one. We'd consider that our our readily stable environment like almost ready for production at, in that development phase but then as we get closer and need to think about like future sprints or future enhancements and maybe one team working away from another that's where we might have a second environment treat that almost like a development environment or a playground or something that doesn't you know you're not like guaranteeing the stability of it so that you can make massive changes without worrying about affecting maybe the other team who needs to be entering content into like the production environment. So um, there are often times where we will have multiple environments and then, you know, you've got that other concern of how do you keep them up to date? How do you keep them yeah. in sync? Uh, and that's where we were talking to a little bit about the CLI tool and, and migrations and things like that. And that's probably a whole nother other episode is how to keep <laughs> them in sync. Uh, so we yeah. might not dive into that today because I want to make sure we get to the other things, but I, I tend to think, you know, my, my short answer, now that I've talked a ton, my short answer is that environments are, are actually more, more like your, like, total web environment. Like, it's the stage environment mm -hmm. for testing. It's the yeah. development or local environment for just the local developers. And then the production environment. And yeah. then we'll talk later maybe about if you can want to keep them up to date and in sync. But I, I, I think of them as the separate playgrounds that everybody plays in. Yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I think yeah, the terminology that, that we've used on projects I've done previously is is you have your your, your production environment that's live, that's sacrosanct, and you you try not to touch it. The only people who really go into that are the content editors who are creating content and managing it through that those workflows. We then you will typically have like a staging or a UAT area, which is not to be confused with content staging. It is for trying out new features new bits of functionality. So yeah, really big, chunky changes that we want to do, potentially testing content migrations. If, if we want to uh, suck in a whole bunch of content from a, a legacy system and move it from that system into content AI, right. we're sure as heck right. not going to test that in the production environment. That would be, yeah, slightly worrying. So that, that would happen in an environment and we'd pull that over. And then, yeah, as you say, one for the developers to to go to town. In. Um, so yeah, we, we pretty much in my experience, I've dealt with it mostly as a technical tool rather than a, a, a content tool. Right. 
Because the environment defines your API keys and your access to your content, whether you're delivering it to the head of your solution or you're managing through the management API. That's where it all starts really is, mm-hmm. is yeah. your, your environment APIs. So that's why I think of them as like, they're the one big first unit or one big group of work that you need to do. You know, users are in there, uh, web hooks, it's all, all, all those things. So yeah. um, something that's people sometimes confuse it with projects because project is the top, top level, mm-hmm. but really um, any major web channel or even native mobile app, you're going to want to have a production and development space. Yeah. So that's how environments accomplish it. And actually I shouldn't use the word space because that's a different thing. We'll, yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll get to that. Got spaces. Um, yeah. I think the other, the other thing that's worth kind of dwelling on is, is certainly the, the default behavior is that the only people who get access to environments other than production are project managers. And you can open that up, but typically you know, I can think of quite a few projects where I've been working and I'm, I'm merrily chatting away about an environment I'm working in and everyone else on the call is is kind of looking a bit confused. So we, we can't see any of this. What are you talking about? So, okay, you, you don't, yeah, okay. You can yeah. only see that one production environment. So I need to open it up. Um, and that, that to me is, is symbolizes kind of what they're for, that that's the default behavior. We, we won't dwell on the fact that they're called project managers because I still think that's kind of a strange, <laughs> strange name for that role. Um, but yeah, it's uh, that certainly the default is that only a very few special extra cool people have access to the environment when you create it. Right. All right. So this next part, we're going to transition a little bit to collections. And to do that, I'm actually going to share my screen and I'm hoping this works with the fancy system we have here. Okay. So there we go. So in case you're not watching, what I've, what I've got here is a content AI demo project loaded up in the user interface. We've got a project selected. That's just a demo site. It's the Moad demo site. Uh, which doesn't really matter. It's just a demo site. And we're looking at one environment and we're on the collections uh, UI tab for the settings of that environment. And the collections screen here shows that we've got four collections. We have our major default collection, which is where most things lie. And then a couple other ones and collections are a great way to kind of group your content and share content across things with reusing the structure of of the content types without having to define them over and over and over. So it's a little bit like folders of content that you can use. And the key value that I think they bring are are the fact that you can kind of have uh, permissions and role uh, granularity control of, of the security model that you need to per collection. So for example, the global content, maybe everyone has access to and the marketing campaign content collection, only marketer uh, in a certain department might have access to. So that's one of the, the main reasons that you would use them. But Matt, I'm wondering if you could kind of just share some of your experience of how you talk about this or how you use this in some of your projects too, when it comes to collections. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, my, my first experience of collections actually got me out of a, of a reasonably tight space, um, to be honest, where... We were working um, on a project for a client with multiple sub-brands uh, and we needed to find some nice ways to divide up those sub-brands so that we could tell our application layers, well, hey, this is this is this brand, go and do this. This is this brand, go and, go and behave in a different way, but also restrict content editors from what they could do. So whilst 
you know, we're not putting content in a silo, grouping that content up actually helps us do something fairly clever with, with the branding. Uh, and we use it for everything. We use it to drive web spotlight. We use it to drive the sub brands. Uh, we use the permissions model to actually say only these people can look at this piece of content. Um, and it was, it, it was like, it, I can't explain how delighted I was to have it. <laughs> it really did kind of save me a, a lot of extra work. And the fact that everything could only sit within one collection made it very neat and very tidy. And you know, this this content item is in this collection and, and that's it. And so I think it's quite important to dwell on, on what you were talking about a minute ago when you introduced this about that general default collection as well, because you always need to bear that in mind that there are going to be things that your content editors will need to access that are not part of their collection. Um, so we have um, in that project that I did uh, categorization of restaurants and specific, uh, specific um, attributes or, or services that they might offer. So we created this global collection and put those services in there. So anyone creating more more content items of that type could just drag them from the global collection. We knew they were the same. They were they were effectively global items, um, and we had to remember to do that in the in the permissions when we're setting up the groups and the roles, who can access which collection, etc. So it's it's a very nice way of sorting things. And obviously, because everyone can only see potentially the collections they're interested in. We can divide up the web spotlight tree. We can divide up the content and assets area. Everything kind of falls neatly into those boxes. Um, you know, in, when you use it in connection with permissions, it's absolutely superb. Yeah. Yeah. And so again, in case you're new to this, I've, I've switched over to the asset inventory screen. The first major filter on the left filter bar is the collection selector and i've chosen global content and you can see we've got 64 content items of various types and in a various state and workflows that i can see as a as the role i'm logged into the project with or the environment and if i change that and i say you know what i actually only want to look at the marketing collection as opposed to the global collection we see just three items because they've been defined to be used in that grouping and only the right people can see, edit, publish those pieces of content. And that's really true of working with it inside of the CMS, but also, you know, calling it from the delivery API standpoint of using it in your application. You know, you're mm -hmm. going to specify the collection ID as one of the system parameters and the system will correctly just give you what you're asking for by collection ID. So that's why it's important to kind of know the setup of collections that you have. And then obviously the code name of each collection uh, is what you'd pass in that API call to, to get that, that content retrieved. So if I wanted to grab the marketing campaign content, it looks like I would use the press news code name, which is an interesting choice. Uh, but who knows, maybe something got renamed along the way. Hmm. Um, I think, I think also probably worth, worth noting here is the API, you don't have to give it the collection. Mm -hmm. it, True. Obviously, you can you can just make a collection agnostic call and retrieve whatever you want, but it is it is actually fairly useful to do that if you're you know certainly in the case of sub brands or, and things like that to to partition that data out. Um, it's, it's so in your in your example there, Matt, did you have a collection for each sub brand plus global, or did yes. you not have the global? So we we had a global. We had, so we had a global brand as well. Uh, so we had a global brand, we had sub-brands, and then we had a, what we called a default shared collection. So okay. 
you would have content editors who could only see the global brand and they couldn't edit sub-brand contents, yeah. but they could still access the default shared collection. So default share was kind of smaller bits and pieces that would be reused. Global was for you know your your dot com site, let's say, if we're talking about websites, and then each of the sub brands, whether they were a a section of that site or uh, their own application or a mobile app, etc., they would all have their own collection. So they were broken down in that way. Okay, and yeah, I so in in my experience, in one of the strongest use cases I've seen of collections for one of our clients, is that it was a global manufacturer. And they needed to have content that was very similar, but yet unique in regions around the world. So what we had is basically a collection that represented their, their regions that they served. So we had a North American collection. We had a UK collection. We had a EMEA, Asia Pacific. And those were the four or five collections that we had. They primarily worked in the North American collection as their sort of default. And when they needed to, they could copy items from North American to say the UK collection. And that's how they structured their environment to, to do basically the same thing you're saying, but it's kind of cool because this feature isn't tied down to just one way that you're organizing your, your business needs. It can be brands like you're saying, it can be regions like I'm saying, and that's why I'm a big fan of it. It's, it doesn't yeah. tell you how to do it, but yet it's very useful for multiple situations that you want to use it in. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's really flexible, um, and you know we, we've used it across multiple projects. But I think certainly the example of, of different sub brands is is the biggest place we've used it, and it drove a lot of the functionality uh, for those guys in terms of how the sub brands worked and how we access them. So yeah, it's it's very yeah. flexible. I mean, but that's that's content AI as a whole, isn't it? Everything's kind of flexible. We have we have options, and then we can we can decide exactly how we want to use them. So even down to things like how we use web spotlight is there's a hundred ways to skin a cat. Um, well, speaking of that and speaking of web spotlight, so up until now, this may have been a little bit of a review if you've been using content AI for a while, but let's get to some of the new things that are only in, in recent history announced and launched. And, and one of those things is actually spaces. Spaces really tie to collections in your project environment because they're meant to represent various channels like a website that you want to put on top of collections or on top of all of your content, really. So this is an interesting thing. It's a little bit new. I think it was launched, gosh, I want to say maybe like two months ago. Uh, and we're getting a little bit more experience with it. So so this, this demo site that I'm showing, I've clicked to the spaces screen in the, in the UI, and I have two spaces in my list. I have a B2C site space and a B2B site. So this might be a common example, right? This this demo site is all about selling uh, bicycles online. And maybe you're going to need to sell the same product to a B2B consumer uh, as well as a B2C, or sorry, a B2B uh, customer as long as a B2C customer. So what Content Day has added is this idea of I have a space that represents my channel or my website or my app or whatever the head is and once I put in a space and basically say, all right, I want to tie this to maybe previewing content or using Web Spotlights, I just have to pick the root item of the content item that represents like my homepage or my overall site entry points or my native mobile app start screen or whatever it is. Uh, you choose that one thing and then that opens up the idea of 
previewing content in multiple ways. So the first thing is on an article, if you need to preview that article, you now have two choices that didn't used to be there. You can actually preview what this article looks like on my B2B site or my B2C site by just clicking the, the, the drop down that comes with preview. Because before it was just jumping right out. And that's great when you're in a large uh, project, or maybe not even large project, maybe just a reusable type of project. So like, I don't know, Matt, if, if, if you had to have this article or maybe a product on, on two brands in your previous example, would this be helpful to you to be able to give the marketing team the ability to see yeah, in I mean, this brand, I that brand very, versus this URL. I very much wish that I'd had this when when we built out that project because it, it <laughs> yeah. didn't exist. So we we had to, I think, jump through a few hoops to to make preview do what we wanted it to do. So even though on that particular project we only have one button, that button for preview will automatically figure out based on the items collection where you want to go and what you want to preview. Um, this is a much more elegant solution. I'd, I'd love to say I've, I've used it in anger and I haven't, I've kind of, I've dabbled with it and, and looked at it and it's, yeah. it's really nice. Um, I think that one of the key things and one of the breakers that we, we had with our, our previous solution is that it was very difficult to set different structured preview URLs mm-hmm. with the, the way that we were working. And obviously now, um, if you, if you go through to preview URLs, there you go, you're there, you can set up different preview URLs for different spaces. And that's really powerful because those spaces, they might not just be different brands. They, they could be completely separate platforms. They could be anything. Right. So that, that URL structure that you're looking at, maybe the API endpoint, you know, if you're, if you're doing Next.js, you're clearly going to be going to some kind of preview um, API call before you do anything. So you can set the preview mode up. Um, if you're doing .NET, you're probably going to want to go you know, somewhere to a different URL to do different things. Um, so, I mean, it, it solves a lot of problems straight away. I think I would love to be able to go back and integrate this into that project, but you know, life is what it is when you work for for agency. You know, you you don't get to obviously go right. and constantly refine your projects because you know, the old saying "time is money" comes into play. Um, you know, okay. someone's got to pay for that time, but it is a really nice, simple solution, and it is actually. I think the first time you use it, when you're not used to having spaces, I think it can be a little bit confusing. Um, I know, um, I know, I was using it in the kind of pre-release version, and and not everything was quite hooked up, so it was a yeah. little bit, a little bit jaunty in places. But it's, it seems to be really smooth now um, in terms of how it works. Um, just setting up the spaces, setting up the URLs. Each of those spaces has its own kind of core domain, um, which you give it, um, which is nice. Um, so yeah, it's it's a really nice. Uh, nice addition. Have you have you used this quite heavily yourselves? Um, so it is very new. So I definitely wouldn't say heavily. We're using it in the most recent project that we're developing on. And and you know, to in case you haven't seen this before, basically, once you have those two spaces, you set your root domain to where your site is that you want to preview in Web Spotlight, and it gives you new macros in the preview URL configuration. So here, I just have at the root of my B two C site, I ha- or, or of my content type. Uh, just HTTPS colon slash slash curly bracket space curly bracket to represent that. I want that space root domain to start here. And by contrast, if I look at a page, not just the root, the page allows you to kind of put in where that URL slug is, maybe your culture code or language that you need to worry about. So you can kind of craft the URL pattern and, and variables to that URL to match 
your development needs for your for your site or your app, right? So here we've got space as part of the root domain, and then we say, uh, and we're going to pass a URL to this preview site of my language and my URL slug for the page. And the quick tip bar here on the right part of the screen, it, it's giving me a bunch of help around what these macros are and what macros I can use. Notice we have collection in here too. So you can actually combine the collection that it's coming from. And that's where I look at these things as building blocks, right? We started today's conversation with environments and why we'd use environments. And then inside of that collections, and now on top of that spaces. So yeah. those kind of just build together to give you multi-channel preview, multi-channel web spotlight, and ways to divide and distribute content and manage it and govern it efficiently. And the whole system is just meant to work together. And it actually now is something I wish we totally had about a year ago when we were doing that big project. And like you're saying, I, we probably have, aren't going to go back and retrofit things because I think that's too much extra work. But definitely going forward, we're excited about using this in pretty much all the projects that we do. Absolutely. And, and while, while we're on this page as well, um, I'm going to... Going to do what I do on all my calls. I'm going to point at my screen because clearly you can see that. Um, <laughs> if you look at the the using spaces um, drop down there, that's where we can define what's going on. So if you if you change that to say, well, the main B two B site uses this one, this is where it starts to get really powerful because you can have a new one and define it for a new space. So as opposed to there being a single um, a single preview URL per content type, it's now you can define it per space. Right. And this is something you literally couldn't do before, right? Yeah, it was like you couldn't have a name, you couldn't do anything. So, so I think quite often you'd you'd end up. I know certainly we did. We'd end up having like a, a proxy page, which was on the domain yeah. that that content AI knew about, and then it would then deal with redirecting the traffic to to wherever we wanted it to go. We had a special preview route handler. You'd pass a bunch of parameters to it, almost like what this first example is doing. Yeah, but now you don't really need to because maybe at the, actually I'll just choose B2C instead of all remaining to make it clear. So maybe the B2C site has uh, a special, like, I don't know, like catalog yeah, uh, starting entry point to that URL. And now the rest of it makes sense where the other site doesn't total control of your previews. And what that ultimately gives you, not just fun things to think about, it gives you the ability that web spotlight now can actually um, view and preview content and yeah. choose which space to look at it in. Now, I it's the same site in both both places for me, so I don't need to switch. But if we did have a completely different website, a completely different brand or region or whatever, it's really nice to be able to give the editor that ability to not only sort of preview content, but also then just go right in and edit the content for that specific collection or space or brand or whatever. So it really gives you large control over complex content, really. It gives it another a nice uh, benefit as well, which is one that I've, I've experimented with a little bit, but it, it's not overly complex. And if you if you've just got a a functional change you're trying to test, and you want to deploy that somewhere else, and give give the content editors the ability to see, well, this is this is the new code version of what we're building. So you want to be able to preview and navigate through the site using the new version of code. We've changed stuff, but the content model is the same. The content's the same. You can just go and add a new space and you can add new URLs. And then all of a sudden, they're not just previewing their production site. They can see, okay, let's have a look at the test site and we can yeah. go in and see what's in there, which is it's actually massively powerful. I know, you know, typically 
there's there's always a bit of confusion about oh well, where's where's that UAT site again? What's the URL for this? Can you share it? And we don't need to because you can surface all of that uh, within Content Hour. Right. You can name one of these whatever you want. It's yeah. pretty cool. That's a great tip, Matt. Um, so I have a feeling that you and I could talk about this all day, but you know what? We're actually running out of time a little bit. What what I was hoping we could end up with is now that you and I have both worked on this tool for a while, and we've seen it mature and add more features and capabilities. What's one thing that you think that you would tell your three-year-ago self? Something that you would maybe save yourself from tripping on something or stubbing your toe on, oh man, I wish I would have never done this. Like what's what's a not to do thing with collections or environments or spaces? What can you can you think of one good tip to give our listeners? Oh, talk about putting me on the spot. Uh, <laughs> what would I not do that I did three years ago? So many things. Um, <laughs> I think I think the biggest tip is just to kind of sit back and really think about what it is you're trying to achieve. I think it's it's far too easy, certainly as a, as a technical person, to go. I know I know how this works. I'm just gonna I'm gonna dive in. I'm gonna build this. And I'm I'm not talking about things like the content modeling and, and that side of things because they're they're an art form in themselves. But there can be a tendency from a technical perspective to just jump in and go right here we go. I'll just I'll create my project with a single environment i'll go and do this thing and you don't think about collections you don't think about environments enough and you don't plan and you know planning is is obviously like the big the big way that you succeed so i think you know thinking about how i started off that big project it was it was already in progress by the time i started so i took a lot of things kind of abated you know this is this is just the way it is and the reality is i, I could have just sat back and gone, well actually i can see what you're trying to achieve and if we if we work this way, you're going to have some problems. We're going to have problems with permissions. We're going to have problems with with the way we silo data and control who can access what. So just take that little step back. Don't need to physically do that, but I did anyway. Why not? <laughs> take a little step back, figure out what it is you want to achieve, and just go and check the docs. And you know, content AI changes rapidly. Their, their trajectory of adding new features and improving features is is super fast, and things can change without you knowing. So that you know, next week there could be a change to spaces that makes it even better. So go and check the documentation, check how things work before you start doing anything of, of any kind of real volume would be my tip. Yep, fantastic, fantastic. Uh, for me, my answer to anyone who's listening is I made this mistake once very early on, and that is saying, I don't need preview. <laughs> and I didn't hook up any preview URLs, and I didn't worry about any spotlight or like nothing. Like I just was like, you know, it's people can just use the content inventory. What do they need to look at the site for? Um, and boy, did I learn that that's not the correct way to do things. So yeah. uh, that's my tip is make sure you do think about how can you set up a preview environment to give a preview website to, to tie it into the system to make it easy for people who are working with content every single day that they can see the result of what they're building and do that you know inside of the tool as much as possible. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I see the preview one is a, is a classic because you know, we are trying to be channel agnostic, but the vast majority of projects, the primary primary channel is a web channel and, and they always want it. Yeah. There are some amazing content editors out there who can edit just from the content inventory and they can visualize what's going on. But e even if your preview for that very first mode is just a single page with all of the content listed out nicely, you can start with that and you can build on it. Um, I know I've, I've in a few cases done a very generic preview page that is literally it's dirty it's just field sets with elements listed out these are the elements in this field set and each each kind of content item nests in another field set so it looks 
like something hideous from the early 2000s uh, when you <laughs> see it but it's visual and you can kind of build on it and then as your project matures you can either replace those components and start filling in the proper look and feel or or you simply move over to the target application which is it's ready to go but yeah, make sure that's all one of the first things you get in place. I think everyone wants to see that visual because they're going to show it to their stakeholders. They're going to show it to members of their team. This is what we're getting. And if they've got nothing to show, that people tend to get a little bit edgy. That's true. All right, Matt. Well, we, we have blown past time, but I do want to give everyone the example or the opportunity for this. So if, uh, if they want to talk to you more in the future, reach out. Uh, I'm going to throw up your uh, blog here first. So yep. Matt uh, does have a nice couple of tips on content.ai at his blog at mattneal.co.uk. So check that out if you're interested in learning more from Matt. And if you want to get a hold of you have any questions from this show or from any other things, there's his LinkedIn profile, uh, which is aptly his full name uh, to get to yep. that. And uh, Matt, I do want to thank you so much for joining the show today. I think it's been very beneficial. So uh, thank you. Pleasure. No, thank you. It's been great. All right. Well, so this has been the Content Rocks podcast episode about uh, environments, collections, and spaces. Thank you all for listening. We will talk to you next time.